and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. So that might help you. If you don't have a thumb index, it might be difficult to find. Verses 9 and 10, And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Let's pray. Father, we consecrate this time again to your word. And again we ask you, Lord, to bring our thoughts from the distant places and from the activities that would crowd in and possess our thoughts. I pray that right now we might bring our thoughts under the supervision of the Holy Spirit and allow this time to be profitable as we consider the Word of God together. Be pleased with what we do in Jesus' name. And every believer said, Amen. Always trying to be careful about the context in which a text is taken. Any text out of context is a pretext. God's Word is not God's Word unless it is taken to the people that it has been spoken to with the understanding that they received it and with a foundation of the preceding verses based upon the following verses. Very difficult for us to lay much foundation for the two verses we've read inasmuch as they contain simply genealogies. 141 verses that precede these two give us only names of men, heads of households, and their firstborn, and who they begat in passing on the inheritance from generation to generation. The 28 verses that follow these two verses also contain simply genealogies of men of Judah. So it wouldn't help us much to read the verses before or after, but in the middle of what seems to be very difficult and uninteresting reading, the Holy Spirit identifies for us a very special person that God, in his assessment, said was more honorable than all of his brethren. Now we can only speculate a bit about why God would identify him this way. But because he does, I think it's important enough for us to spend some time focusing our attention upon this man by the name of Jabez. I have found, perhaps you have as well, that the four books here, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, can be extremely difficult to understand or to appreciate. And if you've been attempting to read the Bible through, and perhaps it would be well for us to identify those who have at least attempted to read the Bible from cover to cover. Let me see your hand. 
you've set out to do it and if you haven't maybe succeeded but you had it in your heart to do it I think probably your motor gets stalled here easier than anywhere else you kind of run out of gas when you get to the begats and the begottens and you wonder what edification possibly could be found in this portion of the Word of God and it really stretches our faith to say all oh, scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable but as we read through these four books attempt a very difficult task to give us some essential history and God has given us a very sound basis for our belief in an eternal plan of salvation that it was not just something made up as he went along but Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world and so the genealogies and those areas that seem to be difficult for us are simply God's verification of the fact that what he did could be traced all the way back to its beginnings and that he was faithful to perform what he set out to do in the very beginning I'd like to however give you a tool a handle for you to get a hold of in reading through especially Kings and Chronicles if you are not informed you will not understand what you're reading and so it might help if you just uh, by way of introduction had a brief little explanation as to what is contained in these books of history you recall that Saul was God's first anointed king as the people desired a king to rule over them and in his beginnings he was shy and unassuming and didn't really want to be in that place and on the coronation day was found hiding behind the stuff and had to be sought and brought out but when he became strong pride influenced him and he in several different dimensions of his life disobeyed God so drastically that God saw fit to remove the anointing and the the scepter of rulership from Saul and David was anointed in his place when David died his son Solomon was given the scepter of kingship and authority and in his beginnings he sought God he offered burnt offerings to the Lord and as he began to pray and seek God about his administration God said I'll give you Solomon whatever you require whatever you ask for and so he said God I would rather have wisdom than anything else I would like to know how to be a wise ruler how to come in and go out before this people so God said because you've asked this thing I will not only grant that to you but I'll give you wisdom and riches and honor and I'll give you fame and I'll give you the life of your enemies and all the things you didn't ask I will give those to you as well and with a great beginning a great heritage a great opportunity everything going for him as he proceeds in his administration his heart is turned away from God and his social relationships so influenced him that he 
turned completely from the Lord and built temples to heathen gods. When he died, the scepter of authority passed from him to his son Rehoboam. And counsel was given to his son at the beginning of his administration, but he rejected the counsel of his elders, who said to him, Listen, these people will follow you if you'll only release them from some of the heavy burden that your father placed upon them. They were hard-pressed with taxes to support Solomon's lavish lifestyle, and they really were under the, the yoke of, of, of an oppressive tax situation. So the elders said, if you will just give them a break, if you'll take it easy, you'll find these people will follow you and be delighted to have you as their king. But he sought counsel with his younger friends and made a decision that he would increase the taxes rather than decrease the taxes. And he said to the people, if you think you had it tough when my father was king, you haven't seen anything yet. For he scourged you with one whip, one leather thong, but I will use a scourge on you. I will use a whip with multitudes of, of leather thongs and on the end tied with bone and pieces of metal. His administration from the very beginning, he set out to use his authority to gain personal wealth and power. Well, as a result of this, the nation of Israel suffered civil war, and they split in two. Jeroboam, who had disagreed with Solomon's lifestyle and administration, had fled to Egypt. When he heard that Rehoboam had now become the, the king, he returned. And because of all of the oppression gathered around him, ten of the twelve tribes of Israel and took them to the northern part of Palestine and there became their king, established Samaria as the city of, of their center, their capital. And Rehoboam, with the two remaining tribes of Judah and Benjamin, established Jerusalem as their capital city. So that is the setting of this portion of the Word of God. What makes it difficult to understand if you don't know about that civil war, if you don't know about the dividing of that kingdom that never was reunited again. It will be very difficult for you to understand. If you didn't know the history of America in the 1860s when we suffered our own civil war and the terms union and uh, uh, confederacy were not familiar to you, if you didn't know the term Yankee and rebel, it would be difficult for you to read anything about American history and make much sense of it. The characters of Grant and Lee wouldn't really help much. But if we understand and are informed about this strategic part of Israel's history, it might make reading a bit easier going through Kings and Chronicles. When you read about the kings of Israel, they're talking about Jeroboam and his successors in the northern tribes, the ten tribes of the north.
capital city of Samaria. So when it talks about the kings of Israel, talking about those ten tribes in the north. When it's talking about the king of Judah, or the king of Jerusalem, it's talking about Judah and Benjamin and those successive kings in those two kingdoms that ran concurrently, simultaneously, side by side, and the, the writer of these books will pick up a thread of history from the northern kingdom and give you some details, and then without any warning, he will jump down to the southern kingdom and begin to pick up the area of history that you would have missed and bring you up to date. He can go past the history that he has already given you of the northern kingdoms. And then without any warning, he'll switch back to the north and give you some more. So if you don't know what's happening, you're totally lost in those two books of the Bible. But I wanted to give you a handle this morning so when you read through these books, you're going to know who's who. And you'll know, well, now he's giving us some history about Israel. Those are the ten tribes in the north. And the kings of Judah and Jerusalem, well, that's Judah and Benjamin in the south. So that that might help identify these, uh, this information for you just a little bit better. Second Chronicles chapter 25. Let me just give you an illustration of this so that you know what we're talking about, just a little practice in identifying these people. Second Chronicles 25. Verse 17. Amaziah, king of Judah, took advice sent to Joash, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us see one another face to face. Now, Ahaz, king of Judah, where is he from? North or south? South, good. If you said north, I was going to pack up and go home. <clears throat> okay, then he's saying to the son of Jehu, King of Israel, where is he from? The north, okay. So the north of the Yankees, Israel of the Yankees, and uh, uh, Judah are the rebels. So keep that in mind. That will help you when you read through King of Israel, King of Judah. Sometimes King of Israel is called Ephraim, so that might help you. When you're reading through, it's just simply giving histories of two nations running concurrently together and it'll it'll identify uh, a little better what's taking place these two nations were at war with each other all the time so in this particular setting uh, Amaziah was saying in the midst of this civil war let's get together let's see each other face to face let's sit down let's have a peace conference let's talk this over let's see what can be done about the conditions uh, that exists between us. So that, just by way of introduction, might provide a tool for you to get a hold of some difficult reading. First Chronicles 4, back to our text. <coughs> Jabez is of the lineage of Judah, verse 1. These are the sons of Judah, then listing them for us through nine verses, 
Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. His mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. Several things are worth noting in that particular statement. First of all, a person was named by the influences or circumstances of the family or life at that particular moment in time. Jabez received his name evidently because there were troubles at that particular time. I'm not sure why, but something had to do with the absence of his father. Either he had died between conception and birth, or had deserted them, some reason for this circumstance that had caused grief in this home, because it was traditionally the father's responsibility to name his son. But in this case, the mother named him, and she named him Sorrowful, or Sorrow. Some of you enjoy the NIV, and I do as well, and usually I compare the text that I'm looking at in King James with the New International Version, and it's translated pain, for I bear him in pain, so therefore his name shall be called Jabez. But uh, because it didn't fit my sermon, I went to the Bible Dictionary of Names, and it supported me, and I like it when it agrees with me. So uh, his name is Sorrowful, or Sorrow. So those of you who have NIVs, just close them up and move over to someone that has an, a King James and read off of theirs this morning because I feel it's more accurate to the text. His name in the dictionary means sorrowful. Something about the conditions in that home into which Jabez came were adverse. The father was missing. The mother gave him his name, and the name she gave him indicated something drastic had taken place. So we start from a position of grief. Let me give you the six things that I want to talk to you about this morning briefly. First of all, grief. Secondly, grace. Thirdly, growth. Fourthly, guidance. Fifthly, godliness and sixthly, generosity. For the Lord gave him what he asked for. God's statement about Jabez intrigues me, and I think above everything else is worthy of identification, for, for he was more honorable than all of his brethren. God said that about him. It says to me that this young man, though he was born a child of sorrow and was so named as a child of sorrow that God helped him and somehow he rose above his environment, somehow he rose above the circumstances that he had been born in and he became more honorable than all of the brethren. God had somehow touched this young man's life and ministered to him and in spite of the circumstances perhaps even because 
of the circumstances. I think that can be true at times. Because adversity has hit, it presses us into God. And we become something more than we might have become because that adversity was present in our life. But in spite of or because of, he excelled with the power and presence and assistance of God in spite of the circumstances that he was born into as a young lad. The songwriter in our hymn book knew him. He says, take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where'er you go. Precious name, oh, how sweet hope of earth and joy of heaven. And maybe there is a Jabez sitting in the service this morning, and you feel very much a child of sorrow, but there is refuge and strength and power in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. And you need not live out your life a victim of those circumstances or a child of circumstances, but God is able to make you more honorable, hallelujah, than all of your brethren. That's what church is all about this morning. God can take the broken pieces of our past and of our circumstances, and he can make it again another vessel unto his glory and to his honor. Hallelujah. So you may have walked into this room weeping in your spirit and very much a child of sorrow. But I want you to know what God did for Jabez. He still is in the business of doing this morning in this service. Hallelujah. Same God. The God of the Old Testament is still our God this morning. Not a different deity. Same one. And he can do exactly the same thing for us. Hallelujah. What did he pray for? It says that he cried unto the Lord. Now I think probably this is the one thing that produced in him the kind of quality that God identified. And as he's reading through or having uh, the record of these genealogies written, he said, now wait, I've got to identify something special in this man's life. Hallelujah. Because he had made contact with God and that contact had changed his life completely. Verse 10, Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. That's a good prayer. That's a great prayer. A way for us as a people to look to the Lord this morning and not just uh, a short little quiet prayer, but he prayed earnestly. Do you know how to pray earnestly? Do you know how to pray earnestly? To call upon the name of the Lord, not just in short conversational tones, but I believe there's a time when you feel the need of God so desperately that you're going to call upon the name of the Lord. God said, call upon me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not. Oh, put aside your dignity and, and just call upon God. I think there are times we need to raise our voice, not because God's deaf and he can't hear a whisper. He can. 
But there are times I think that our urgency will be expressed in the way we call upon God. You listen to someone who's urgent and they're not whispering. They are calling out and they are crying out to God. And he started out that way and said, God, oh, that you would bless me indeed. When I read this verse, there was another verse that clicked off in my mind and I didn't know exactly where it was. So I went to the concordance and found it in Proverbs 10, 22. It says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich and addeth no jabez, and addeth no sorrow thereto. Hallelujah. Oh, he said, I've had enough sorrow. I want something different. I want to change. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich. Hallelujah. And addeth no sorrow with it. I mentioned in the early service something that came to mind while I was speaking. Some of you might have seen that interview. Uh, I think four people who had won at least a million dollars in the lottery uh, were asked how it affected their life. Anybody saw that? Boy, I'm watching a different channel. No one in the first service remembered it. Now, I know my wife was sitting there. She's shaking her head. I didn't dream this, did I? And all four said, I rue the day I won that money. I wish to God I never had it. It so wrecked my life. My family is split. My friends are split. It has, it has just been a curse. And if I could, I'd give it all back. It says something, doesn't it? It takes more than a million dollars to make you happy. Oh, that thou wast bless me indeed. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and addeth no sorrow with it. Say, oh man, if I won that million bucks, it wouldn't. Oh, yes, it would. It would affect you. And not all for the better. See, I'm not convinced all of us can handle the blessing. Oh, that God would make us able to handle the blessing. That's probably a bigger test than poverty. Would it draw you closer to God if he really blessed you and gave you the responsibility of several millions of dollars? Would you be in prayer meeting more? Would you be in Sunday night service? Would you be on your face before God? Would that blessing draw you closer to God or would you forget about him completely and totally? If that's the case, that blessing would become your curse. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And what? Loses his own soul. Oh, God, that you would bless me indeed with the kind of blessing that makes rich and doesn't add any sorrow with it. Jabez's name meant sorrowful. He'd had enough of that. He was a child of sorrow. 
He was a child of grief. He needed grace. Oh, aren't you glad for amazing grace? How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. There is a heaven that can open windows and pour out upon us a blessing that there's not room enough for us to contain and receive. And there isn't anything on this earth that can compare to the blessing of God. There's some pretty neat things to enjoy, but nothing, nothing, nothing can compare to the blessing of God. Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed. Amen? Grace. Then he said, God, I need growth that you would enlarge my coast. I don't think he was asking for another thousand acres. I think he was saying, God, give me more capacity for your blessing. Give me more capacity than to be a blessing. For God said to Abraham, I will bless you and make you a what? A blessing. The blessing of the Lord is not just for our personal enrichment, but so that we might have in order to be able to give to those who need a blessing. So he's saying, God, increase my capacity. And I believe that God will fill us to the capacity that we are to overflowing. And if I have a thimble capacity, then I can receive the thimble capacity to running over. You say, oh, I'm full and running over. That may be true, but what size pot are you? Or are you a bucket? Or are you a barrel? Some of us more than others. When we say, fill my cup, Lord, oh, break your cup and let's get a tub. Amen? Lord, enlarge my coast, enlarge my capacity. If you're alive, you want to grow. And if you're alive, you will grow. Enlarge my capacity. God, help me to grow. And then he said, God, I want guidance from you that your hand might be with me that thy hand might be with me the New Testament same phrase is mentioned in Acts chapter 11 verses 19 through 21 and I'm glad that it's here because it brings the truth across from Old Testament to New Testament and right where we live this morning in the service. Acts eleven nineteen. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenis, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Some of them that were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake to the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Here it is. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. 
That's been the prayer of my heart this morning for this service early before the first service. God, I want your hand to be with us. Great things happen when God's hand is on us. Ezekiel 37 talks about the prophet of the Lord. It opens the first verse by saying, And the hand of the Lord was with him. And you know that chapter, it's a prophetic chapter, where he was faced with a valley of dry bones, and he was asked, Can these bones live? And he said, Lord, only you know. And he said, Prophesy. Preach to them. Prophesy to the winds. And God began to bring the bones together put sinew on the bones and made them stand and breathed into them. They became a mighty army. But it all started with a man with God's hand resting upon him. Want to pray that this morning? God, let your hand be upon me. That above everything else, Lord. In the ministry of Monroeville Assembly of God, I want your hand to be upon us that many will believe, that many will come, and there isn't anything else that can really convince the lost apart from the Spirit of God. And then he prays for godliness, that you would keep me from evil, and then finish the rest of it. Why? That it may not grieve me. What was the first heading we started with? Someone? Grief. That it might not grieve me. Why was he named Jabez? Sin. Genesis chapter 3, God said to Eve, as part of the curse for the sin that has been committed in sorrow, will you conceive and give birth? So in that regard, every son since could have been named Jabez because all of the sickness and sorrow has come as a result of sin. But I can't help but believe there was something more specific about Jabez's circumstances of birth that necessitated the name that he carried with him the rest of his life. Sorrow. Sin equals sorrow. And so he knew it better than anybody else, perhaps. All too well, he said, God, keep me from evil. Keep me from sin. I don't want not only to be a child of sorrow, I don't want to be the father of Jabez Jr. I don't want to be the father of a child of sorrow that it might not bring grief. God, keep me from evil so that it might not bring grief. He knew that's how he started out. But by the grace of God, he had become more honorable than all of his brethren. Oh, he didn't want to be a producer of Jabez Jr. That's the way our society runs today. If we had the statistics, we could 
just take all that time and substantiate the fact that abused children become abusive parents who produce abusive children who become abusive parents Jabez Jr. becomes Jabez the third and Jabez the third produces Jabez the fourth and that's just the way the system works God make us a church that will interrupt that cycle that will in infuse the grace of God into the message that at some point a child of sorrow will be so transformed that he becomes more honorable than his brethren and he says God I don't want anything to do with sin keep me from evil I want to live a life of godliness so I don't produce Jabez Jr. God I want a different family tree I want my firstborn to be called Elishua, which means God is my salvation. My second boy I'll call David, which means well-beloved. The third one, John, Jehovah's gift. The next one I want to name Saul, which means desired. The fourth one I'll call Jabel, which means music. And then I have Jason, who means one who heals. But, oh, God, no, Jabez, Jr., I've carried this name. I've borne this sorrow. I don't want anyone to be produced from me who is a child of sorrow. Lord, let me produce a different family tree. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that you will help us to pray with this man of the Old Testament. Oh, that you will bless me indeed. Enlarge my coast. Let your hand, Lord, be with me. And keep me from evil, that it may not grieve.